Well, welcome, church. How are we feeling this morning? I pray that you are just enjoying your relationship with Jesus. And if you aren't quite sure what that means and what that is, I hope that today helps you in that in that just a bit. I wanted before we jumped, what a great communion we just enjoyed. What a what a what a great um, just picture of her and her dad. Um, it's a blessing. Yesterday, I had a blessing too. We uh, we gathered here around eight forty five with about thirty volunteers to go over to the. Uh, the local, the Henderson Rehab Center. I wasn't able to say that d- during this, this activity, but I want to show you what these folks did. This was incredible. They have gifts that I have no knowledge of, but I want to show you this. This is the crew. They went and they painted these amazing murals on the walls there just so that the residents would feel more lively in their homes. This is where they live. These folks, some of them have been there for years. Um, and so, yeah, hit the next one. Show, show some of these pictures of them painting on these walls. It's just incredible. Uh, we have one of our seniors. Um, uh, she and her and, uh, two seniors, Austin and, and um, <clears throat> Bryn. I can't speak today. I got that cracker stuck in my throat right now. But uh, they they had this incredible um, uh, vision of painting these murals so that the rehab center would be a little more colorful for the residents. And you know, it was just another example of just seeing the church mobilized to to love the city. I'm just been I was just overwhelmed. So so grateful. Thinking about what's happening on, on uh, Thursday night with Alpha, with over 50 folks kind of exploring Jesus together. Uh, that's just incredible. And then the outreach on Saturday and this, all the other things that are happening. This, this coming week, we'll have a youth conference here. So our students will have some guest speakers come in. So just a lot happened around Lake Mead Christian Ministries. I'm just really, really, really excited and want to just bless this church for what they're doing as they walk out their faith. So we started last week a new series entitled The Way. And we talked about how Jesus isn't just a, a kind of like a way to get to a destination. He is the way, right? He is both the prize and the path. He's not just pointing, hey, this is how you get to heaven. We are reminded in this, in this text that, that Michelle read earlier that Jesus himself is the way. And this is something we wanted to just kind of commit to meditate on as we begin 2024. What does that mean that Jesus is the way. And it comes from this iconic verse in, in John chapter 14. And so I want to look at it again. And I want us to, to really meditate on this because I think there's so much to mine here. So, me, so much truth, so many layers of meaning when you really think about that Jesus isn't just, uh, he isn't just the, de- he isn't just like pointing to the destination, but he himself is the destination. So, um, Luke or John chapter 14, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. That is very nice of you. Uh, No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the way. As we said, unlike other religious leaders that might point to a, a, a way or point to a path, Jesus puts himself front and center. And so as we think about that, I hope that that idea kind of rolled around in your mind this week. Last, as we ended last week, we said that it's not a formula, it's a friendship. It's not, a, it's not like a, a, a kind of a, a course you're running, you know, or, or, or a sequential set of steps 
to earn the right into heaven, right? That's not what Christianity is at all. It's a friendship. It's God coming into our world, taking on human flesh, becoming the very thing that makes heaven and earth meet. And so that when we think about this, we realize that Jesus, he is the destination. That if I don't have a a taste for Jesus, I'll have no taste for heaven. Are you hearing me this morning? Like, this is so important. What, What we are invited into is a dynamic living relationship with God himself. Again, it's not this set of checklists. And it's so easy, I think, as humans to make it into a checklist, you know? And we miss the whole point. It's not a formula. It's a friendship. So we ended last week with this encouragement to feed that friendship. And so I want to just start uh, by asking you, did you, did you invest in that relationship with Jesus this last week? And, and again, you know, I think sometimes pastors hope that, you, that everything we talk about on Sunday is just always on the front of your mind all week long, right? Like, as if you have nothing else going on in life, like, right? And I realize we all have pressures and careers and kids and all the rest, but friends, I want, I want us to get as much out of this series as we can. And every day, I want us to feed that friendship. I want to say, Jesus, your hand in my hand, we are together. I'm going to invest in this relationship uh, because Jesus is the way. That is the point. And so I want to kind of take another step on this series, in this journey with Jesus. And I want to start by asking a question. Have you ever had to have a really hard conversation with someone? Have you ever uh, kind of realized that there was maybe a conflict that had happened or a pattern that you had seen in that person or in some choices that they made? And, and you kind of like, man, I need to have this conversation and it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a hard conversation. And you're a little, uh, little nervous about it. I remember when I first started teaching as a high school teacher um, early in my career. And, and one of the things that you know, I didn't realize is how many hard conversations I'd have to have, not just with students, but with their parents because you know, they're not all perfect, right? And so whether it's a, a parent-teacher conference and you have to explain why the kid is failing or, or not doing as well, or it's a behavior thing. And at our school here where I, where I taught, um, we had a lot of pastor's children in our, our classes, right? So you might get pastors from all different uh, parts of the city, but they put our, their kids in our school. And I remember early in my career, one time I, I noticed this one, this one um, daughter of this pastor she just was kind of a bully. Can I be honest with you? She was just kind of a bully. She wasn't really an, a pleasant person. Um, she always looked like she just lost her best friend. I mean, she just had a countenance that when she came into the room, it was like, you know, clouds came in with her. You know what I mean? And I was thinking, man, if, I, if that were my daughter, and I think at this point I had no children yet. So I was really naive and idealistic, okay? But I was like, man, if I had a, if I had a daughter and, you know, because I, I wanted to be a pastor one day, you know, like I would want someone to let me know what she was like when I wasn't there, you know? Boy, did I get that wrong, right? So I, I was thinking, okay, how, how can I say this in a way that's caring and gentle and nice and all the rest? And I remember sitting down with, <laughs> this pastor and I say, hey, you know, I know we both love your daughter, name, insert name, you know, and I was like, man, I just, I just want to tell you, and she's a, a bit of a bully, you know, she's, I remember specifically thinking of one of the fruits of the spirit that I saw lacking. I mean, how can I go wrong? We're quoting Galatians here, right? Like, you know, uh, and it's like, you know, I just don't see any joy in her. And you would have thought I had just told him that I thought she was on her way to hell itself. Like it was wild. 
I mean, the reaction was, how dare you question my daughter? I'm like, bro, I'm not questioning. I'm trying to help. I'm, your, I'm on your team. We're on the same side. But, you know, I just realized really easy, really early on that we have some blind spots as parents. Can I get amen in here? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, hey, maybe the other kids aren't, are, 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 are screwed up, but my angel would never do whatever, right? And so I realized, okay, maybe, and that is kind of what happens to us is the older we get, we get a little more jaded and a little more cynical. Like, you know, that, the, the youthful, you know, uh, naivete kind of goes away because you've had these interactions with people. Um, but you know, having hard conversations with, with someone is part of being in a relationship. Uh, I, I remember some hard conversations Michelle has had to have with me and the very few, like two, that I've ever had to have with her, right? <laughs> it's just, it's part of it. And if you've read the gospels, if you've, if you've ever really looked at what Jesus does and says, you'll notice that he is no stranger to some hard conversations, hard words. So in this series on the way, we're talking about this relationship with Jesus. I need to address this. Jesus is sometimes going to say some things that are hard. He's going to say some things that you don't like to hear, that I don't like to hear. But if we're going to have a real relationship with the real Jesus, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, then you need, I need, we need to expect to hear some hard things. And so I want to look at one of them real quick. Um, We're going to look at three, but we're going to kind of briefly hit them. But I think, man, I hope we have a heart that's soft enough to hear it. So this is in Luke chapter 12, and there's this man, and it's kind of an abrupt time. Jesus is in the middle of teaching. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of this, uh, if you read Luke 12, all of a sudden, like out of the crowd, I don't know kind of how this must have felt. It was kind of like in the middle of service, like somebody stands up, hey, Brad, you know, it's like this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, right? Remember, imagine we're in the middle of church and, hey, my wife's not getting along. Can you, you know, it's like, what are we doing here? We're in the middle of this, uh, this teaching moment and somebody jumps up. But what's interesting here about this is I, I, I love how Luke records this because I think so many of us have this approach with Jesus if we're not careful. It's like, okay, Jesus is my secret weapon, right? He's like my trump card. If I can get him on my side, right? I'm gonna win the argument. I'm gonna win whatever, right? Like he's the ultimate like, Boom, right? And so he, this man comes to Jesus and he shouts to him, hey, Jesus, join my side of this dispute, right? Join my side of this argument. And I think it's, it's really a common way to approach Jesus. In fact, Eugene Peterson in his book called The Way, which I would recommend, it's a deep read, but it is so powerful. I want to read to you what Eugene Peterson says about the way we try to co-opt God for our side, right? He says, it is both common and easy to develop a concept of faith in which God is pledged to give us whatever we want whenever we ask. We evaluate God's performance. Do we serve God or does God serve us, he asks. Is God a mystery of goodness whom we embrace and trust, or is God a formula for getting the most out of life on our terms? Man, so how does Jesus respond to this attempt to get him on his side? If you know this story, this is not what the guy wanted to hear. Some hard words are about to come his way, right? Jesus replied, man, 
Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? What's interesting about this is, um, you, again, without knowing some of the context, we, might, we really might find this strange, but Jesus was a respected rabbi. And so for a man to ask a rabbi for help in a family dispute wasn't completely out of bounds. But instead of just agreeing with this man's problem and willing to join in, Jesus kind of questions his whole motive. And this is the role of a hard word. Because what Jesus says next is the hard word. He says, first he says, who made me a, a judge or an arbiter over you? And then he hits, the, he hits them with this powerful truth. And it's almost like Jesus uses this as a lesson for everyone. He said, then he said to them, so he's not even speaking to the man himself, to the crowd gathered, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's a hard word. See, this, this probably was a younger brother who wasn't feeling like his older brother was giving him a fair shake in the inheritance split up. And so he's, he's coming to Jesus and it's not an unreasonable request. As I said, he's a rabbi. Hey, help me with my brother. And Jesus sees right through it. He says, wait a second, I'm not going to get involved in this. In fact, let me, let me kind of attack your, your, your foundational premise. And that's, that's, that's this. You are building your life based on how much you can possess. And you need to watch out. In fact, all of us need to watch out. A hallmark of a hard word, especially from Jesus, is a lot of times it's not what we expect him to say. It's not the kind of thing that we'd expect. This young man's expecting Jesus to, to understand that he's not feel, being, maybe being fair, fairly treated here. He's expecting Jesus' sympathy. And instead, Jesus sees past it all and sees the root. And the root is corrupt. The root is broken. The foundation has a problem and, he, and it's greed. And the young man and the rest there are, are just, and here it is, they're just living in a culture of greed. And Jesus sees it and he says, guys, I got a hard word to tell you. You, gotta, you have made a, 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 a problematic you know, conjunction here. You have equated life with what you possess. Life isn't about what you possess. There's more to life than the abundance of the stuff in your barns. The hard words from Jesus says. And he didn't know it. There's another story I want to look at. And this is uh, to set this story up. There's there's an invitation that Jesus gets from a religious leader. And this religious leader would have been highly esteemed in his culture. He would have been seen as someone who's very, very Torah observant, like very scrupulous about keeping the Torah. And so he invites Jesus to dinner. But um, there's some things about the dinner where the, 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 the host, the, the, the religious leader, is kind of showing that he doesn't really respect Jesus. He doesn't really give Jesus some of, the, some of the, the hospitality that's normal for a dinner like that. And in the middle of the dinner, a woman comes in who's a sinner. We can only fill in the gaps of maybe what it was, but she had a reputation and she comes into this dinner because it's kind of a public setting. And she sees that Jesus's feet are unwashed which was part of what should have happened prior to dinner, but no one had washed Jesus' feet. And so if you know the story, she sees that she's moved with compassion 
We don't know whole, the, the whole backstory here. We can kind of imagine, but she does kind of this unthinkable thing. She begins to cry. She pulls the pen out of her hair. Her long hair falls and she starts to wipe Jesus's dirty feet with her hair all during dinner. Let's look what happens next. Luke chapter seven, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him said, saw this, right? Saw this whole thing happening. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him for she's a sinner. So, so now we get the inner dialogue of this, of this host, you know, who's invited Jesus and, you know, whatever questions he may have had about Jesus, you know, about if he's truly bringing God's word, if he's truly a prophet of some sort in his mind, the answer has been settled. A true prophet would never let this go on. And you guys got to be honest. We got to be honest about this, right? I don't know if any of us would let this go on, right? We read these stories and sometimes we don't think about like, this actually happened. I mean, what would you do if, if someone of ill repute, you know, came walking into this room and starts washing your feet? Like, you're probably like, hey, what, what are you doing here? Like, right? You take a step back. What's powerful in this moment is Jesus doesn't stop her. Jesus doesn't do much of anything. He's up to this point in the dinner, he's been passive. He's allowed the insult of the religious leader he hasn't said anything about it. He's just sat there at dinner. And now he's allowed this woman to do this kind of like extraordinarily, almost provocative thing. And, and look what happens with the hard word. Verse 40, 40 says this, Jesus answered his thoughts. It's interesting. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Now he's going to start talking. Go ahead, teacher. I, I love all the, uh, the fake platitudes here, right? Because we all know their inner dialogues, right? We, we know what they're thinking. Oh, go ahead, teacher. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned two people 500 pieces of silver uh, uh, to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. This is really important for the story. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? So Jesus is kind of, uh, kind of going to give this little story. Stories, parables were common among rabbis. It was, it was a lot of, it was embedded in their culture. They told these stories that would illustrate these truths. And so Jesus says, I got this story to tell you, Simon. And he says, there's these two that owe this, owe this, uh, this creditor money. One owes a lot, one owes a little, but neither could pay. And that's the key. Neither could pay. And so they're both convicted, they're both uh, kindly forgiven. Who, who's going to love him more? And Simon, verse 43, answers, it says, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you're right. Then he said, then he turned to the woman and he said to him, look at this woman kneeling here. <laughs> I always think this is so funny. It's like, oh, I haven't noticed her there kneeling, right? In my living room. But what are we doing here, right? And now everything Jesus had formerly ignored that reveals the true heart of his host is going to be brought out. Jesus hadn't not noticed. He's noticed. But now is the time to say something. Now is the hard word. When I entered your, your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. And she's washed them with her tears. 
and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss at the door. But from the time that I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. That was the other thing she'd done. She'd taken this bottle of perfume out and it filled the room with that fragrance. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I want to analyze this hard truth that Simon needs to hear. Simon's actions reveal the state of his self-righteous heart. And guys, Simon doesn't realize how self-righteous his heart is. That's the point. That's why we have to have Jesus show us hard truth. We have to have a heart that's soft enough to see when we need correction. So Simon is going along with his life. He has this, this misconception that he has followed Torah and he's actually above the rest. And now he's going to invite Jesus into his home and kind of disrespect Jesus because Jesus probably really isn't up to Simon's level. I mean, that's what he's thinking. He isn't really worth all the, all the, the niceties of common courtesy. He isn't really worth honored, an honored guest status in my home. And I'm going to show that by the way I'm kind of subtly disrespecting him. But, but as a side point, what a powerful, powerful moment for Jesus to demonstrate his humility to not walk out in a huff. How dare you disrespect me, right? But instead to endure the insult. Some of us need to endure some insults. Can I get an amen to that? If our hearts aren't so proud, we'll endure an insult. Maybe so we can, at the right moment, give a hard word in love. So here it is. He says, Simon, you need just as much forgiveness as this woman does, and you just don't know it. And as a result of your unwillingness to see who you actually are, to see the level of your own sin, to see how that you likewise with this woman have a giant debt that you cannot pay because you are unwilling to see that or unable to see that you love little. What a hard word to hear. Can I ask you, are we willing to hear hard words from Jesus? hear the hard word now or see the awful truth later. Can I get an amen to that? Man, hear the hard word now or find out later that we've been in deception, right? That we've been in delusion. Simon's in a delusion. Jesus himself, God himself is in his home and he doesn't even anoint him with oil. He doesn't even say hello at the door. But you know what's interesting about hard words? Look at what, look at the next verse says. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? You know, hard words really are a test. They really are. They're a test of actually what we actually believe and think. When Jesus gives us a hard word, when God gives us this kind of this like challenging think, thought to, to really chew on that makes us reevaluate ourselves, makes us, that's designed really to, to kind of like do a little diagnostic of our hearts. It really is a test. 
And how do we respond? Do we respond with humility and repentance or do we respond with anger and resentment? At that night, at that table, they responded with, who does this guy think he is? He's just the Lord of glory who left the joys of heaven to wear sinful humanity's flesh and yet himself never sinned, but took what we deserved on a cross so that we could be saved. That's all. That's all it is in your house, Simon. That's the only person there today. The most important person in the universe. But you're so self-righteous, you can't see it, right? Who saw it? The woman did, right? That the only, this is the irony of the story. The person with the keenest insight is the woman who's the sinner, who's washing his feet with her, tear, her tears and her hair. She's the only one who sees Jesus. Can I ask you, does your Jesus confront you? Guys, I'm going to give you a word right now. A Jesus that never confronts you, contradicts you, stops you, rebukes you, challenges you, or convicts you is not the real Jesus. If your Jesus never tells you something you don't want to hear, you don't have the real Jesus. You might have the teddy bear Jesus. You might have the Jesus in my own image or the good luck charm Jesus, but you don't got the real Jesus, friend. The real Jesus is a dynamic influence that's entered your life when you, can, when you bowed your knee. And when that Jesus is in your life, you better believe he's going to confront some things in your life. Why? Because all of us need confronting. Don't be a Simon who thinks I've got it figured out. You brother, me, sister, we don't have it figured out. We come into this relationship with Jesus, not to get him on our side, not to agree with us so we can win debates. We come into this relationship because we know we need him. We know we're lost without him. We know that without Jesus, we'd be slaves to sin. We'd be in the dirt of, 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 the, of hell. We, we wouldn't be rescued. Guys, does Jesus confront you? Does Jesus speak to you? Does Jesus sometimes put his arm lovingly around you? I'm not talking about Jesus screaming at you like some kind of abusive parent or something like that, but I'm talking about someone who's like, look, I love you too much to be quiet. Like, I love you too much just to sit idly by. That's Jesus. When we meet Jesus, there's always a reaction. And when we hear a hard word, there's always a response. Hard words, this is, the, this is the word today. Hard words, soft heart, good fruit. I want you to think of those three words this week. Hard words, soft heart, good fruit. Hard words, soft heart, good fruit. Because I think that's exactly what happens. When God gives you a hard word, but you have a soft heart, it will produce good fruit, friend. You know, Jesus doesn't stop doing this when he dies and rises from the dead. In fact, the resurrected Jesus continued giving hard words. It is who he is. I want to look at one last one as we wrap up. This is in the book of Revelation and Jesus is giving one final word to a church. And I want to show you what he says, even after his death and resurrection to help illustrate that we are going to continue to hear these from Jesus when we need them. In Revelation 2, it says this, it says, I know your deeds and your hard work and perseverance. Jesus says, hey, I know, I'm watching. Even from my vantage in heaven, I'm seeing what you're doing as a church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. 
He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. In other words, he's commending them. They're not, they're not compromising. They're not just saying, hey, you know what? Whatever you believe is fine. Just, just kind of join us and we'll just kind of go along to get along. No, the church at Ephesus, they were known for their deeds. They were known for their hard work, their perseverance, and, and they were known for their doctrinal purity. But it says this. It says that you've tested those who claim to be apostles and, but are not and have found them false. He says, he says this, but look what he says in verse four. He says, yet I hold this against you for you have forsaken the love that you had at first. This church was known for their hard work, for their grit, for their doctrinal purity. I mean, these people believed the truth. They would not let false apostles in and lead the church astray. They persevered. They endured hardships even. But the problem was at some point in this journey, they stopped loving people. I mean, you can look at this church from the outside and think, man, that church is just really, I mean, they just, they know their Bible. Everybody's well-trained. I mean, that church is doing good works. I mean, they're, they're doing all these things. But at some point, here it is, the lamp from heaven, right? The, the light of the world shines on their hearts and says, there's something you can't see about yourself. You've started to not love anyone. You've lost that first love. You've turned it into a formula, not a friendship. I think that statement and scholars have talked about what love is he talking about here? I think it's both love of God and man. Because when you stop loving God, you stop eventually loving man. And I think that the, that the, that the savior of the world, the light of the world looks at this church and he says, there's much to commend, but I have a hard word for you. You stop loving people. What would God say? What would Jesus say to the American church today? I had to rewrite this part of my sermon like five times because I know I could be jumping in some real minefields here, which is kind of the point. Can I just kind of say that to you? If I started talking about politics, we'd get really divided in this room. We, we would. Because some of us have put our hope in political leaders. I wonder how the church, I wonder how Jesus would speak to the church of America. I wonder, I wonder what he would say about how we, how we interact with people who disagree with us. How we think about them. How we let maybe media manipulate our feelings and our thoughts towards people from the other side of the political aisle. That we maybe speak poorly of our leaders instead of pray for them. I love that song that we introduced to you today, The Way, right? I love that song because that song, and Jeremy did a great job teeing it up. That song, this is the Jesus way, right? It is not the way of power, friend. It is the way of the cross, the way of Jesus isn't the way of, I will force people into my viewpoint. Guys, the way of Jesus is I'm praying for my enemies and if need be, I will lay down my life because I know that greater is he that is in me than is in this world and that the king of heaven will have his way, but I will not be complicit with the kingdom of darkness even if the motive is right. I will not try to force people into my viewpoint because Jesus never did that, friends. He prayed for Caiaphas. He prayed for Pilate. He did not, he did not call down heaven heaven's angels to smite them. Guys, I just wonder, is the church of America, 
living out the Jesus way. And I'm gonna let you meditate on that. How can we as a church not have a hard heart, but a soft one? And I wanna end today trying to make this as personal as I can. And I'm gonna ask this question. So how do you hear? How do I hear? How do we hear the voice of Jesus? I'm gonna give you three things as we end that I think help us hear hard words. Number one, I think we have to familiarize ourselves with the words of Jesus. Guys, I think we have to get so familiar with the kinds of things Jesus says, the kinds of ways he reacts. I mean, I want to, <laughs> whatever I, I'm, you know, trying to uh, father and help and, and, and nurture my, my children, you know, and they're fighting with each other or they're, they're mad about something. I'll just stop and I go, oh yeah, that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. Hate your sister, hit her when she offends you, right? Like I, I kind of joke with them. I'm like, that is not the way of Jesus, right? The way of Jesus is to love even your sister, right? When she's driving you nuts, right? It's, it's, this, it's this, guys, it's this conscious, this is important. It's this conscious decision to bring the teachings of Jesus into my actual practice and life. I have to be so familiar. Number two, number two, I have to ask God for humility. God, I want you to humble me. I do not wanna be like Simon in our story today, so full of self-righteousness and pride that I miss the moment that Jesus is bringing. And finally, I believe you have to pursue Jesus in a community that actually obeys his voice. If everyone around you always agrees with everything you do, if everybody you're around is exactly like you are, the chances are that no one in that community is really gonna be like enough different to say, I don't know if we should all be on this train. Like even if you're around good people, it's like, is, is, are the people I'm around, are they the kind of people, this is a great question to ask, are they the kind of people that I regularly see like challenging the way we all think about something? Spur us on to love people radically. That's why I think it's, it's, it's a community that's centered on Jesus, a community. Guys, I, I can just say this as a pastor. The number one thing the enemy wants is for you to not be in a good community that obeys the voice of Jesus. Because when he gets you there, you, have, you are in the echo chamber of your own heart and mind and nobody challenges you. So I wanna challenge you, okay, as your pastor. Guys, commit to being around good people who always kind of like, for me, that was Mike and it is, continues to be Mike. And it's my other pastors on our team. They, they don't think just like I do. And, and they're like challenging me. Sometimes they're challenging me in the way they love their spouse. Sometimes they're challenging me in the way they're interacting with people who are different than me. Challenging me even on po political issues. Like, let me hear it from that point of view. Let me really listen to those who disagree and not maybe agree with them fully, but help me to have a conversation. Can we all stand together? I want us to just chew on this word and I wanna give you a moment to hear the voice of Jesus. With your, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna go back to this word. 
If Jesus never confronts you, rebukes you, corrects you, kind of kind of bothers you, you don't have the real Jesus. And so right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you to go mentally to a place where you're, I love that image that Sarah gave us about her daddy, asking her to confess her sins. <laughs> I love that so much. And I want to ask you to confess your sins. Maybe your response is exactly like hers. I don't have any sins. Okay. <laughs> All right, Simon. <laughs> right where you are, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you pray this prayer? God, open my eyes. Help me to hear the hard words. God, help me to be willing to, be, to put people in my life that will tell me the hard things. Help me to have the discernment to know when that person's speaking with the spirit of Jesus on them. Help me, Lord, right now. Maybe there's a conflict. Guys, maybe there's a conflict in your life right now and the spirit of God is pursuing after you. Hey, have that hard conversation. Be willing to, to just put, put all of your fear aside and say what's needed so that maybe God can use you in that person's life. Guys, let me just tell you, God uses us in each other's lives to speak his truth. Father, I pray that our church would have soft hearts even when the word is hard and that you would produce good fruit. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna end our time together with just a, a moment. If you're a believer in here, I want you to continue to pray and just let Jesus do that diagnostic work in your heart. Just start to have that conversation with him. And if you wanna sit and pray, I mean, you can. If you wanna come forward and pray, we'll put people up here that you can pray with. But I wanna talk just as we end today to those who don't know Jesus yet. I said at the beginning of our service, maybe you don't understand what this relationship with Jesus is about. And I wanna to talk to you right now. So if you, if you would put yourself in that category, I want you to look at me. If you do not know Jesus and you've never made him your, your king, I wanna say this to you. God loves you. He knows everything about you and he doesn't turn away. In fact, he's drawn towards you. He isn't here to condemn you or judge you, throw you out. He's here to embrace you, but you have to receive him. You have to hear the hard word. And here's the hard word, you're a sinner. The hard word is you're a sinner. No one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to point to somebody else, but they're not. We're pointing right at you. That's what Jesus would say to you. You're a sinner, but I love you. And right where you stand, you can say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I agree with that. It's true. And now you can hear the good news. And here's the good fruit. The good news is this. Jesus, the innocent one, gave his life on the cross to, to pay the penalty for all of our sins, including yours and mine. And that if you give your life to Jesus right where you stand, if you pray a prayer, this is God save me. I know I need it. I will not be self-righteous like Simon to think I'm okay. I need you. Right where you stand, you can pray this prayer. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Give me a brand new start. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. You are victorious. You are the hope that, that we all need. We're all in need of somebody who can beat death and you beat death. So right where you stand, you could pray that prayer. Jesus, come into my life. 
I give you my all. You are my king now. I give you full allegiance. If you gave your life to Jesus right now, if that was you, as soon as church is over, I want you to come and see me. And I, I want to have a conversation with you because I will, I will want you to publicly get baptized in front of this church to show the world that you belong to Jesus. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that everyone here continues to, to, to wrestle with this sermon. God, that we would maybe go on a prayer walk, we would spend time in your word, and that we would invite you to say the hard things that we need to hear. That you'd open up our eyes, Lord, to things that maybe we are unwilling to see. Lord, that maybe we would listen to people that we trust in our life, that we know follow Jesus, that could speak truth into our life. Lord, that we'd be a, a community that welcomes those hard words so that we can produce that good fruit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.